Imagine a nice green pasture available for all to enjoy. The sun is shining, the sky is blue, and there are some sheep grazing in the field. When you look closer, however, you notice that there are hundreds of sheep and the field is not so green anymore. The grazing has put a strain on the land. The grass will soon be gone. Then where will the sheep graze? Now, wait a minute, you may think. What do sheep have to do with intellectual property rights? You'll find out on today's episode of Advancing Sustainable Solutions. You're listening to the podcast Advancing Sustainable Solutions, where we make sustainability research meaningful for the everyday person. This podcast is produced by the IIIEE at Lund University. This episode is hosted by Stephen Curtis and Sophie Sundin. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Advancing Sustainable Solutions. Hey, well, today we are celebrating a milestone here on the podcast. Last month, we had a breakout episode. Our episode on nature-based solutions became our most listened to episode, surpassing 1,000 listens. So welcome to all of you, our new listeners and returning listeners to this month's episode of the podcast. Now, in today's episode, we're going to discuss the role of different intellectual property models in accelerating sustainability transitions. Yes, and we are welcoming you from our studio here at the IIIEE in the heart of Lund, Sweden. But we wanted to bring today's topic out into the field, literally. Does our imaginary pasture filled with sheep sound familiar? And what do sheep have to do with intellectual property rights anyway? Yeah, well, we'll certainly come to that. Uh, but if you've ever studied environmental science or economics, you may have heard of the tragedy of the commons and the famous sheep problem. Sheep as in the, the animal, right? <laughs> with wool that baas. <laughs> English is tricky. It is. Okay, so what's the famous sheep problem, Stephen? Yeah, well, let's first start talking about the theory, the tragedy of the commons. It was coined by a British economist named William Forster Lloyd in 1833. He wrote an essay where he described how individuals acting independently and according to their own self-interest behave contrary to the common good when using shared resources. Now, this was later elaborated on by Garrett Harding, in 1968 in an article aptly named The Tragedy of the Common. So let's consider our sheep pasture, an example used by both Lloyd and Harding to exemplify the tragedy of the commons. Now, imagine a field that is shared by 10 sheep herders, none of which own the land. All of the sheep herders want their sheep to thrive and be healthy, obviously. And as their sheep graze the shared fields, these shepherds each grow their flock, increasing the numbers of sheep that graze on the land. Yes, and all is still well on our pasture until we reach a point where the amount of sheep grazing the shared field is just too large so that the field can no longer support the growing number of sheep. The vegetation is so damaged that it can no longer grow on the field and all sheep herders go out of business. The tragedy of the commons has happened. So what exactly happened here? All 10 of our sheep herders were not collectively managing the land. From the perspective of one herder, they only represented a small part of the problem. They could not fix the problem themselves individually. If they were to decrease the number of sheep, 
in their flock, they would only be reducing their income while not fixing the problem as other sheep herders maintained their flocks. Why? This is because each sheep farmer is waiting for others to reduce their flocks by managing the problem so they can maintain the number of their sheep and their flocks, as well as their income. In other words, according to Lloyd and Harding, in an unregulated commons, people will act in their own self-interest to the detriment of common resources. And in a modern context, our sheep pasture is a metaphor for any other shared and unregulated environmental resource, such as our fields, oceans, air, and biodiversity. Climate change is the ultimate tragedy of the commons. Other examples include polluted rivers from industries, depleted aquifers from the over-extraction of groundwater, light pollution in our cities also is an example of tragedy of the commons, logging our forests, overfishing, and even human population growth, as was exemplified in Hardeen's essay. Now, in all of these instances, the actions of individuals or companies only represent a little part of the problem, but collectively, they're causing massive environmental and social challenges. They're acting independently in their own self-interest, but to the detriment of the common good. So what can be done to avoid the tragedy of the commons then? Yes, that's a good question, Stephen. The tragedy of the commons is often used to justify the introduction of property rights to manage a shared resource more sustainably. If our pasture was divided up into smaller pieces for each sheep herder, which they owned and were allowed to manage their sheep herds, it is said that it would be in their best interest to manage the land appropriately. The introduction of property rights is a form of privatization, taking a public good and privatizing access and use of that good by introducing property rights. Now, you may have mixed feelings about this as a solution to address the tragedy of the commons, but many of the major conservation successes in the United States and elsewhere have been because of the introduction of property rights. Take, for example, national parks, conservation areas uh, to protect birds and wetlands, so many other examples. On the other hand, property rights advantage those with money to purchase those rights, further concentrating wealth and power. Property rights diminish the rights of indigenous people who commonly have held and used the land for centuries. And historians aren't even sure the illustration put forward by Hardeen, for example, that of the field falling into disrepair due to overgrazing, is even accurate historically. Instead, it's suggested that changes in social behavior, our economic incentives, and the result of innovation over time has led to the destruction of shared goods. Because there are numerous examples of successful management of shared resources. Can you think of an example, Sophie, of where shared resources have been managed effectively? Yes, Stephen, there are actually examples of instances where shared resources have been managed locally by the people who are sharing them in order to prevent collapse. Uh, a good example is actually um, by Eleanor Ostrom. She received the Nobel Prize in Economics in 2009 for her work in which she demonstrated examples of how people could actually collaborate around shared resources to manage them without damaging them. So definitely there are good examples out there. However, while the privatization of our fields, oceans, air, and biodiversity is often controversial, we often acknowledge the right for companies to own their own intellectual property. And now we are actually moving into today's topic. But 
do intellectual property rights support or hinder sustainability transitions? pasture and move into the world of ideas, innovation, and technology. Imagine you have an awesome new idea or technology that will revolutionize the way we organize our cities. Do you own the idea? Would you share it freely? If you do, how do you ensure that you receive the credit for its innovation? Yeah, so this is where intellectual property comes in. Now, intellectual property, which we often abbreviate as IP, refers to any idea or creation of the mind. So for example, this may be innovation, literature, artwork, designs, symbols, or even company names and images that are used in commerce. There can be informal and formal types of intellectual property. Examples of informal IP are copyrights, industry knowledge, trade secrets, and know-how gained by an individual or company in the process of doing business. In contrast, more formal forms of IP are trademarks, design rights, and patents. These types of formal intellectual property rights require the registration with the appropriate organization. So, for example, a patent office. And this is really what distinguishes informal from formal forms of property. Formal forms of IP require registration. So intellectual property is essentially declaring ownership of these creations of the mind. In other words, assigning property rights to manage shared resources. Once a technology or innovation is known, it can be copied and duplicated by others. So intellectual property is a mechanism to assign property rights, allocate credits for new ideas, license innovation and technology to others, all of which incentivizes innovation and provides an opportunity to benefit financially. So uh, when Sophie and I approached the topic of IP for this episode, we understood intellectual property to be a mechanism for protecting intellectual property for oneself, the owner of the IP. And IP can certainly have that effect, but we realized that actually there's a lot more nuance to IP. We realized that intellectual property rights do not actually prescribe any protective behavior as such. Instead, intellectual property essentially assigns ownership rights, and then it's up to individuals, businesses, and society to decide how to operationalize the protection or sharing of these rights with others. Okay, but why are we talking about intellectual property rights in the context of sustainability? Sustainable solutions may start with an idea or an innovation. The more people or businesses that can use the new innovation, the better for sustainability, right? From a sustainability perspective, sharing technology and innovation can be important factors for advancing sustainability. Yeah, that's one theory. By making innovations more widely available, especially to less developed countries, that we can advance sustainable solutions. However, as we'll discuss later, it may not be that a fully open intellectual property model is the best way to support a sustainability transition. But let's take an example. Imagine a company that designs a new process which reduces water usage or material waste, for example. Obviously, it makes sense to share this new innovation with others using an intellectual property model which is fully open. 
Sharing new technology can be an important driver to diffuse innovation across industry and society in order to address our grand sustainability challenges, such as climate change. If intellectual property is shared widely, we may have a chance to reduce carbon dioxide emissions to achieve the 1.5 degree Celsius target. And that sound means it's now time for our sustainability scoop. Woohoo! We want to provide a recent example in the news of a company making open their intellectual property to other companies. Sophie, I think you have uh, the story for this month's sustainability scoop. Yes, I do. So recently, Colgate has announced that they have developed a new packaging for toothpaste. Now, this may not necessarily sound revolutionary, but you need to know that up until now, toothpaste tubes have been notoriously difficult to recycle. Well, even impossible to recycle because they are made out of a strange combination of plastics and aluminium. The new tube developed by Colgate is made out of the same kind of plastic that you may find in any other products, such as milk containers. The difference now is that they have developed a process to make this typically hard plastic softer and more pliable, and as such, more suitable for toothpaste tubes. Now, Colgate has not only managed to make a recyclable kind of plastic used for toothpaste packaging, they are also openly sharing this new formula widely with the entire sector to support other companies to move away from the traditional non-recyclable forms of plastic traditionally used in their packaging, but towards a more environmentally friendly alternative. Now, in sharing this intellectual property with their rivals, Colgate helps to pave the way towards more recyclable packaging on the market, and in doing so, also prevent plastic waste. Super interesting and very important. And if you want to hear more about this month's sustainability scoop, make sure you are subscribed to our newsletter. Each month, we send out a reminder email announcing new episodes, which includes show notes, access to research output, and additional information about our monthly sustainability scoop. You can sign up on our website, which you find on www.iiiee.lu.se backslash podcast. So one thing that I reflected on while researching this month's sustainability scoop was some of the business analysis behind the decision for Colgate Palmolive to make this new packaging process available. They invested time, resources, and money to develop this new process. But by making it available, they hope to steer the industry towards packaging that is easier to recycle. But, and I think this is important, they also are able to share this because they are already ahead of the rest of the industry. Other toothpaste and packaging providers do not yet have the capacity to manufacture this type of product just yet. So they maintain competitive advantage. And ongoing research here at the IIIE is seeking to understand how intellectual property rights can be leveraged by businesses to support a transition towards sustainability. Later in the episode, we will sit down with Roberto Hernandez, a postdoc at the IIIE, considering the role of IP in sustainable business models. But first, we will sit down with Professor Nancy Bocken. She's currently a professor in sustainable business management. However, Nancy's about to embark on new adventures. Uh, in March, she joins the team at Maastricht University in the Netherlands. 
Of course, we will miss her here at the IIIEE, but today we celebrate with her and we look forward to collaborating with her in the future. Yeah, and glad we got to collaborate with her on this episode of the podcast, but we'll certainly miss Nancy and wish her well. Now, they are both part of a larger project called Intellectual Property Models for Accelerating Sustainability Transitions. We use the acronym IPACS, a little bit easier for us to say. It's a mouthful otherwise. And the project is a major three-year international and interdisciplinary research project, coordinating researchers from five different institutions. And you know, our listeners that we detail interdisciplinary research here on the podcast, and this project is no different. It brings together researchers from the fields of sustainability, intellectual property law, and innovation management. Yeah, but let's discuss more with Nancy about the project and the role of IP to support sustainability. Hi, Nancy. Welcome back to Advancing Sustainable Solutions. We have already had the honor of having you as a guest here on the podcast, but why don't you remind our listeners, what are you working on here at the Institute? Thank you, Sophie. At the Institute, I'm actually working on the topic of sustainable business. So that's the theme I'm coordinating here. And within that, my own research is a lot about sustainable business models and also particularly focusing recently on circular economy and experimentation within that. So you mentioned sustainable business models, and this is very important for today's topic when we talk about intellectual property. And another important concept is the three pillars of sustainability. And I know they matter for business models as well. Can you please elaborate a a bit on that? So the triple bottom line is basically about people, profit and planet or society, environment and economics. And in a sustainable business model, you do not only try to create economic impact, but also societal and environmental impact, so positive impact on those aspects. That is what is new compared to conventional business models. So in 2014, we developed a research paper on a sustainable business model archetype. Uh, There were eight types, but I think uh, the variety can expand and expand. But basically, um, within the IPEX project, we focus on uh, the more environmental-oriented business model archetypes. Uh, Those are the ones on maximizing material and energy efficiency, creating value from waste, uh, substituting with renewables, uh, but also delivering functionality without uh, ownership, for instance, product service systems. So those are the examples of business models uh, that we can think about in terms of environmental impact. And now you mentioned the IPACT project, and uh, this is a project where you uh, work with intellectual property. Can you please tell us a bit more about this project? What's the aim of IPACT? Yeah, so it's a really novel uh, theme because intellectual property has not really been understood so well in the sustainability context. So it's often abbreviated as IP, so sometimes I use the term IP as well. So basically what we know is that um, IP can be Uh, potentially blocking innovation, or that's the common uh, conception. If it's a closed project and you don't know what is going on and it's all locked up in the IP, maybe uh, others cannot innovate. So for instance, the environmental technology might be developed and it can be very good for the world, but it's only sitting with this uh, particular company that owns that uh, intellectual property. 
because they want to keep it for themselves and they want the to keep it for themselves make, make mm-hmm. money um, on that but i think um, we should take a more balanced approach so for instance one of the things that we found in the project is that you can also do licensing as a company so you might have a particular technology have ip on it but you can also still make money if you license it out to other people but then they can also benefit from this environmental technology So what we do in this project is to investigate 40 cases of companies over time historically to see what happened to their uh, intellectual property strategy, but also sustainability impacts and their business models. It's quite complex, but we try to see patterns of what worked and what didn't work in those uh, particular contexts. Uh, because it's probably not so black and white that a closed IP s- system where uh, basically nothing is really shared or uh, Well, a trade secret is basically where nothing is really being shared. And the most uh, open system where everything is freely available, it's maybe not so black and white that the one is good from a sustainability perspective and the other one is bad. So that's what we want to investigate. And um, why do you think intellectual property is important for sustainability? It's very much under-investigated, but it's so, uh, such a normal practice in in businesses to churn out new uh IP, intellectual property. So you have the research and development, uh, R&D departments in a business constantly developing new technologies. And on the on the other hand, you have the marketing teams marketing the end product, but they don't really talk so much uh, to each other. So the people who are responsible for the marketing and the business model are sort of working on the one side and the IP, intellectual property on the other side. So it's understood from um, academic literature that uh, it can be beneficial in general if they talk more. So the yeah the proposition uh, to the customer can become uh, better as well. But also, I think from a very different perspective, we need to understand the sustainability impact of the business and whether that IP is actually beneficial or whether it's negative actually from an environmental perspective and how maybe others could also benefit and whether the IP is then a blockage or a lever, or in which way it can actually be used uh, to be more positive and accelerate our sustainability transitions. What do you think would be the ideal business model for sustainability in 50 years? Well, that's too <laughs> difficult. <laughs> too difficult a question. Uh, we always joked that with the uh, archetypes we, um, we published that you should basically do all archetypes, like all uh, sustainability solutions, economic, social, and environmental, all at the same time. Uh, but I think we're a long, uh, long way, <laughs> long way to go. Yeah, long to go way there. to go uh, to get there. So yeah. Well, um, that's a goal at least. It's a goal, definitely. Yeah. Nancy, I want to say thank you for joining us again on Advancing Sustainable Solutions. And now we also know that you are about to embark on new adventures in Maastricht. What will you be working on there? Yeah, it's called the Maastricht Sustainability Institute, focusing also on uh, practical solutions for sustainability, working closely with business. So one of the projects that I will do there is a project on circular business model experimentation. So how companies can experiment with new business models to advance and uh, accelerate to um, better environment and better society. Um, And hopefully also scale up some of those solutions uh, to have a bigger impact. That's the idea. So hearing from Nancy, we can see that an open intellectual property model can be good for sustainability by sharing innovations that improve the recyclability of products, for example. And this can help to steer an entire industry towards more sustainable production, but 
This isn't always the case. No, it's not. It's never that simple, is it, Sophie? Oh, I know it isn't. <laughs> so there is a lot of nuance then when we're talking about intellectual property. Uh, if intellectual property is open to all, what is the incentive then for individuals, business, industry, or countries to innovate? They invest time, money, and resources in developing new innovations and technology. And if they then cannot make any profit from this, or at least secure some return on the investment, they're only left with the goodwill and ideological reasons for developing these innovations. And of course, this isn't bad in and of itself, but where does it lead when we're in the need to address our urgent sustainability transitions that Nancy so eloquently mentioned? Right. You can think of the UN's 17 Sustainable Development Goals that guide many public and private actions today. Innovation is clearly outlined in goal number nine, industry, innovation, and infrastructure, which emphasizes the need for inclusive and sustainable industrialization. But IP can, of course, be argued to underpin many of the other goals as well. For example, by supporting clean energy developments and for reducing global inequalities when technology and best practices are shared between countries. Yeah, and of course, you can't forget goal number 17, my favorite goal. I've shared this here on the podcast before. Goal number 17 being partnerships and collaboration. And this is, I think, where IP exchanges uh, happen. Anyway, intellectual property is important for providing innovation to the market that can address, for example, climate change and social justice issues. This requires that companies and researchers share their technology. But with the competing drivers and incentives at work here, it's not obvious what owners of intellectual property must do in order to address these challenges. Now, we've heard about the open model for sharing intellectual property, the closed model, where companies keep their intellectual property for themselves, and as such then maybe hinders the sharing of these new innovations and the adoption of more sustainable practices. But you might have also guessed there is a middle ground, and that is the semi-open model. And I think this is where we invite a colleague of ours, Roberto, who is working on the IPAX project to help us explaining these models and the implications for sustainability when intellectual property is managed in different ways. Today, we're happy to be joined by Roberto Hernandez. He is a postdoc currently working on the IPAX project, which we've previously introduced in the episode. Hey, Roberto, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Steven and Sophie. Thank you very much for having me here. Great. So why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, well, as you were mentioning, I'm doing a postdoc in the IPAX project. And uh, IPAX means Intellectual Property Models uh, for Accelerating Sustainability Transitions. Um, before joining the IPAX project, I was doing a PhD in Copenhagen about the development of organizational sustainability in social enterprises. So I've been always involved in sustainability matters and joining the IPAX project has been a great opportunity for me to do research in three main areas. These are intellectual property, sustainable business models, sustainability transitions, which I consider are relevant not only for companies, but at the same time for policymakers to uh, create positive impact for societies and the environment. Yeah, I think this is a, a really important area and, and really what motivated us to do this episode. We realized that there isn't that much discussion out there about the role of intellectual property in supporting sustainability transitions. Yeah. And one area in which this is important is when thinking about the design of business models and then licensing of intellectual property. In our interview with Nancy, she mentioned a few different business models for managing 
intellectual property from uh, closed strategies where companies keep their IP to themselves and more open strategies, sharing intellectual property or licensing intellectual property for others to use. Are there business models that are more common than others and more important for from a sustainability perspective? Yeah, well, let me tell you that in real life, uh, like, it's more complex than having like closed or open IP models or intellectual property models. And this is because uh, there are different intellectual property types, but at the same time, uh, there are different conditions to use and access intellectual property, and there are different jurisdictions across countries. In the IPAX project, I have been investigating different types of IPs at the company level. And these, for example, can be like patents that involve formal registration or trade secrets that don't involve any formal registration, but both of them are part of a intellectual property portfolios. So companies can apply different intellectual property models uh, going from a spectrum from close, uh, semi, open, and fully open intellectual property models. So from the perspective of sustainable business, it is difficult, I think, at this point to really say uh, which intellectual property model is more beneficial for sustainability. But I would rather say that this depends on uh, context, circumstances, different IP types, business purpose, uh, different business models uh, that companies pursue. So in the IPAX project, me and my colleagues are investigating what cir- under what cir- circumstances close, semi-open, and open IP models uh, are more beneficial for the diffusion of sustainable technologies. This sounds really interesting. And just because for me, spontaneously, it sounds like open strategies would be better for supporting a more sustainable um, society. But then I hear that that is not really the case. So Roberto, what are then the advantages or disadvantages of different strategies for managing intellectual property? So let me tell you some examples uh, regarding supporting sustainability, and then you will see the advantages and disadvantages. About a close intellectual property model, for example, if there is an IP ownership and full protection strategy, this can help new ventures to attract funding to scale up uh, sustainable technologies. If those sustainable technologies, they don't have IP ownership and full protection, strategy, then uh, those technologies cannot even make it to the market and there won't be any diffusion of them. Uh, But on the other hand, if there is a full protection of uh, uh, IP in the manufacturing industry, for example, uh, then this can result in low incentives to recycle or even restrictions to cycle as uh, there are different items that can be protected through patents or design rights. And then other companies, uh, they cannot reuse those specific items into new products. But let's say that uh, in the same situation, we have a semi-open license and there is inter-firm collaboration, uh, then uh, this can result in more incentives to recycle and to reuse those specific materials that can be protected, but that can be shared among the different companies. Um, Let's say that also uh, the IP license strategy uh, is beneficial for companies as this means that they will share 
the intellectual property under certain conditions. But this will also generate like additional income for companies based on royalty fees. So Roberto, then what about open intellectual property models? How would businesses go about leveraging these for sustainability? Yeah, let's say that uh, there are large companies applying like uh, free licensing, open source uh, strategy uh, for new technologies related to, for example, renewable energies or manufacturing processes. In, in this case, we are talking about like fully open uh, IP models. So in that sense is that there's no royalty fees involved. So that means that everyone can access that specific uh, intellectual property right. and everyone can use it. Other competitors can access immediately and uh, start implementing that technology in any process, service, product, yeah. and then spread the sustainability yeah. impact, not only at the firm level, but in the whole industry. Yeah. What does that do to innovation and technology? Does it incentivize or decentivize, and how do you address that? Uh, at this point, it's really difficult to say which model is more beneficial for sustainability because there is one example. Imagine that there is a, a, a company in Africa that is producing a new a nutritional supplement, and they are that nutritional supplement is involving a new formula and is having an open source strategy. So imagine that they are also uh, involving community development and improving livelihoods. And they do it by hiring local labor, right? So if there is a competitor from a developed country coming and they just access immediately this IP and they started copying, producing and selling the same product, but they started hiring uh, people from developed countries, then this will have negative consequences for that specific area. There won't be community development and there won't be improvement of livelihoods. So it's really difficult to say which one. Right. But I think it's dep it depends more under what circumstances. Yeah, the context then yeah. suddenly becomes exactly. important. Something yeah. for businesses and at the sector level as well exactly. to be thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about IP and the, the different IP models that businesses can use. But I wonder how can intellectual property be scaled up uh, to a sector level or even, even higher than that at a society level to create or to facilitate these sustainability transitions? Yeah. To be honest, I would say a uh, this can be only possible under good faith. And this is something that different companies like Tesla, they have said. Uh, we need to remember that IP is not a protective mechanism, but it's more an enabling mechanism. And owners of IP are the ones that take decisions how to use, how to, or who they are giving access uh, to that specific intellectual property. Intellectual property for uh, sustainability can range from a macro perspective that involves, for example, uh, national policies from the meso perspective that it can be industry level and the micro perspective that it can be the firm level activities or initiatives. So I think the IPAX project uh, will contribute tremendously in this matter because we are investigating uh, how IP is interrelated with sustainability in the sustainable business context. And uh, this is important for companies, also for policymakers. Um, in the IPAX project, we are involving different companies that are already in the market 
and at the same time that they are uh, implementing sustainable business models, mainly addressing environmental challenges, and that also they involve certain kind of innovation with different IP assets. So we have a, a wide range of different companies that can be in the renewable energy sector, but at the same time in the water treatment or in the textiles uh, industry. And what we are trying also to do is to, to work with uh, companies that are, are leaders in the sector. So we can see how they are creating global sustainable impact and how they are doing it. So you have been looking at some different companies in the IPAX projects. Do you have any concrete examples of how the IP strategies of these leading companies, how have they been uh, really contributing to a sustainability transition? Yeah. Um, I'm still working uh, uh, with uh, different companies uh, participating in the IPAX project, and I'm still analyzing different business cases. But if you see secondary data, you will find like very good examples. One of them is, for example, Tesla, that has opened its patents to everyone, so everyone can access the uh, electrical car technologies. Um, and uh, they have opened uh, all the patents to everyone because they, wa they want to replicate the technology and they want to diffuse that technology uh, of electric cars and accelerate the development of infrastructure. Uh, and of course, during our sustainability scoop, we shared the example of Colgate, in which they're sharing openly their um, recyclable toothpaste yeah. tube, which is is interesting as well as a way to reduce waste. Uh, so these are certainly some interesting examples of companies that are leveraging these different IP models. Um, but I guess if we get to the crux of the issue here, why are we talking about uh, intellectual property rights and sustainability? Uh, in light of the sustainable development goals and the global challenges that we're facing, Roberto, how do you think that uh, IP models can support uh, sustainability transitions? Uh, but in particular, this notion of knowledge sharing uh, between and across sectors and countries as well. Yeah, I think that's uh, really important. And uh, th this is one of the aims that we have at the IPAX project, because we want to generate knowledge to see positive changes around the world, not in a specific uh, country or continent. I can mention one example. There is this organization called Leader of Light. And uh, what they do is that they are creating a movement and uh, they are bringing solar energy to those mar marginalized communities that they don't have access to electricity. So in that case, like, they are spreading all over the world, especially in developing countries. And uh, they are not only offering a sustainable solution, but they, at the same time, they are teaching those communities on how to use different uh, local uh, and inexpensive raw materials and how from those raw materials make devices for solar energy. That's something that they claim that is beneficial by using open source strategy in the intellectual property. So they are not only uh, transferring knowledge, but they are also empowering communities and they are addressing different sustainable development goals. What Tesla is doing is trying to replace or substitute fossil fuel cars. And that's the way that uh, different com companies are trying to, through different IP assets or different intellectual property types, make the difference and substitute those products that are unsustainable with 
uh, sustainable alternatives. Yeah, so I guess that's really the goal of the IPAX project then is yeah. to arrive at some suggestions for companies and policymakers exactly. to leverage intellectual property models for, to support a sustainability transition. Yeah. And I know the project is still ongoing. Um, what are some of the things that you're currently working on within the project that we can look forward to in, in following your progress? Yeah, right now, I think it, this is a critical stage in the project because we are collecting and analyzing data. Uh, so we are working with different participants in uh, in the different three main areas is intellectual property, sustainable impact, uh, but at the same time to analyze uh, at the same time trying to analyze the the business model in companies. Uh, something that uh, uh, happens uh, in large companies, I think that is that different business units they don't communicate to each other. So you will see that there is a lack and uh, they don't know exactly what's happening. Uh, related to intellectual property or innovation in the sustainability uh, department. So this is another aim that we want to to achieve, to connect those three areas and help internal members in companies to discuss and see the relevance of the three topics together. This sounds uh, really cool, Roberto. And I think it's really important to make people aware of what the role of intellectual property really is, both on a company level, but also, of course, then on a society level. We want to thank you so much for joining us today, for sharing your research and all your knowledge on intellectual property with us and our listeners. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. From the field and into the mind, we discuss the role of intellectual property models to accelerate sustainability transition. And, as always, we learn that reality is never simple. Instead, there is complexity to navigate, differing incentives, and context-specific outcomes. And the context and desired outcome likely will dictate the choice of closed, semi-open, or open IP models. Now, the tragedy of the commons is used to justify property rights for sustainability. In contrast, it may be a fully open intellectual property model or no intellectual property rights is better for sustainability. This ensures knowledge transfer to advancing sustainable solutions. But then what incentivizes innovation? This issue is nuanced. The use of intellectual property rights may support or hinder sustainability. More research is needed to understand the role of intellectual property models in accelerating sustainability transitions. But It seems now that it is too difficult to say a fully open or a fully closed model is better or worse. So this is something we certainly need to then reflect on ourselves in our own contexts. Sophie, what do you take away from today's episode? Yeah, I I have to admit that when we started planning this episode, I had not thought about the role of intellectual property models for companies to support sustainability. But in conversations with some of my colleagues, Nancy and Roberto, and you, Stephen, I realized that a closed or semi-open intellectual property model can actually hinder sustainability. Uh, Our colleague Jessica Luther-Richter then shared with me how intellectual property can hinder the ability to repair products. If intellectual property is locked away in patents, it is difficult to know how to repair something when it breaks. What do you take away, Stephen? Yeah, thanks, Sophie. I have to say... I think intellectual property was quite hard for me to wrap my brain around at first. 
especially as a tool to support sustainability. Now, of course, I see the need to incentivize business to continue to invest money and resources into developing sustainable innovations. But I think what I fear is that we're creating a system where only those with money are able to innovate and then profit from those innovations. There's increasing concentration of wealth and power, and those people that could benefit from a solution are not necessarily able to access it because they lack the capacity to do so, either knowledge or resources. I think another important aspect that we really didn't touch on in this episode is knowledge transfer, especially to the global south. There are countries and people around the world that would benefit from free access to these innovative solutions to improve their lives and, of course, support sustainability. But they're just simply out of reach. I think one of the things that stood out to me is that intellectual property in and of itself does not prescribe any open or closed models. That's really up to us as a society to decide. And I'd love to see a more mission-driven approach to innovation where people and companies share innovations to address our challenges because it's just the right thing to do. I think that sounds good, Stephen. And, you know, maybe this is something we have to come back to in another episode, thinking of how we can actually move towards that kind of uh, practices in society. Yeah, I mean, it's really about uh, it's really about addressing our value systems. And it's interesting that we bring this up now because this is actually going to be the topic of our next episode in relation to Agenda 2030 or the Sustainable Development Goals. Obviously, there's an underlying value system to the, the Sustainable Development Goals. And we want to contrast the SDGs with that of our existing economic model and maybe the underlying value system there as such. So as we close this month's episode, it's interesting that we can look forward to a new episode where we do start to kind of unpack these questions of values and uh, what we want as a society, our, our vision for a better world. Yeah, so look forward to our next episode coming to you in March. In this episode, we will talk to a researcher that is actually uh, doing research on economic transparency for sustainability. So that definitely has a value component related to it. Uh, but this brings us to the end of this episode. We want to thank Nancy and Roberto for joining us today. If you want to find out more about the project they are working on, the IPAX project, you can visit their website. It is www.ipforsustainability.org. That is the letters IP, the number four, and the word sustainability.org. Meanwhile, they also wanted to share an upcoming special issue in the journal Sustainability. If you want to contribute to the special issue or follow their work, make sure to get in touch or visit their website. So with that, we want to thank you for listening. We hope that you think critically about the role that intellectual property can have to either help or hinder a transition towards sustainability from whatever context you may be coming from. So with that, see you in March. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs>